Hello, and welcome to another short box from Warhammer 40K's Grim History from Beyond. I'm Zekthar, and this week we will be talking about the light before the darkness of the Horus Heresy. That's right, we will be discussing the Great Crusade. And this week we're actually going to talk about the end of the Great Crusade, the Ulanor Crusade. While it might not have been the final battle of the Great Crusade, in fact, it would be many years before the Great Crusade ended with the Horus Heresy. But the Ulanor campaign is definitely the last shining moment of the Emperor's career, for it all starts to break down. The campaign started at the turn of the 30th millennium against the Orc Empire of Overlord Urlach Urg. His center of operations was the planet of Ulanor Prime, which was at the center of the Ulanor system. The Emperor mustered the forces of 100,000 space marines from all of the legions, 8 million Imperial Army troops, and 600 Imperial starships, Imperialis Armada, and their support personnel. The Ulanor Crusade marked the high point of the Great Crusade's vast effort to reunite the scattered colony worlds of humanity. The Orcs of Ulanor represented the largest concentration of Orcs ever defeated by the military forces of the Imperial Man, before the War of the Beast fought in the mid-32nd millennium, and the Third War for Armageddon in the late 41st millennium. At the beginning of the campaign, the Emperor let Horus Lupercal design and carry out the strategies to take on the monumental task of exterminating the Orcs from the Ulanor system. Horus used his favorite battle strategy against the Orcs that he labeled the Spear Tip. The White Scars and Ultramarines, supported by the Exterdus Imperialis, and other forces such as the Legio Titanicus, of the Mechanicum, attacked the outer planets of the Ulanor system. This offense was a decoy to draw the majority of the Orcs' forces away from Ulanor Prime, and it proved to be quite effective. Many of the Orcs' starships rushed to prevent the attack on the outer planets of their home system, leaving the central planet dangerously vulnerable and exposed to the waiting main body of the Imperial forces, led by the Astartes of the Luna Wolves' Legion. The Luna Wolves' fleet headed straight for the central world, more specifically for Urlach's Fortress Palace, the very heart of his empire. The main attack force dedicated to capturing the capital planet of the Ulanor system consisted of the entire Luna Wolves' Legion, over 2 million Imperial Army soldiers, and 100 titans of the Caligia Titanica, all drawn from the infamous Legio Mortis. All of these forces were later joined by the human slaves liberated from the Orcs' labor camps by the invading Imperial troops. This force was led overall by the Emperor himself, though Imperial records do not indicate what role he played in this action. Little is known regarding the actual makeup of the defending Orcs as well. However, it is said they outnumbered the Imperial troops by a 5 to 1 ratio. Ignoring the Greenskin masses, Horus and his legion struck directly at the Overlord and his command group of Orc knobs, intending to leave the enemy headless and without direction. Horus liked to use this term that it was the spear tip being thrust into the heart of the enemy, hence the name of his strategy known as the spear tip. The attack took place by drop pod, with heavy gunships deploying Imperial armored vehicles to the battle zone. This force attacked the perimeter defenses of the Orc Fortress Palace. Horus then teleported to the base of Urlach's great central keep, the Tower of Ulanor, accompanied by all the Terminators from the elite first company of the Luna Wolves. While most of the Terminators held off the Greenskid Horde, which was rushing back to the tower to defend their master, Horus found his way to the pinnacle of the great edifice, accompanied by only ten Terminators, who were the members of the Justarian squad of First Captain Ezekiel Abaddon. At the summit of the Tower of Ulanor was a vast throne chamber, where Horus found the Orc Overlord surrounded by forty of his biggest, baddest knobs. Horus immediately stormed into battle, 
utilizing the twin lightning claws of his power armor to rip apart the enemy in close combat. The Terminators were unwilling to fire into this melee, lest they hit their beloved Primarch. The Terminators therefore immediately fell upon the orcs with close-quarter weapons. Eventually, Horus hacked his way through the Overlord's bodyguard, until he came face-to-face with Urlok, a truly gargantuan orc warlord. Despite the fact that Urlok was an immense, towering, green-skinned brute, Horus was a Primarch. Being as strong and faster, it wasn't long before the leader of the Luna Wolves crippled the orc leader in a duel. Horus hefted the orc overlord above his head and carried him to the battlements of the Tower of Ulanor, and with a mighty heave, threw the screaming, bloody overlord down to the ground. Thus ended the reign of Urlok Urg, with an unceremonious green ichored splat. When Horus returned to the throne chamber, he found all the Luna Wolf terminators and orcs dead, Apart from one, the sole survivor was none other than the gore-drenched captain of the First Company, Ezekiel Abaddon. With the death of the leader, the orc forces surrounding the fortress palace collapsed into infighting, as was their wont. The battle for Ulanor Prime soon became a massacre, as the remaining orcs found themselves trapped between two forces of the Luna Wolves, including the remaining Luna Wolf Terminators at the base of the great central tower of Ulanor, and those who had breached the perimeter walls of the tower complex. The Luna Wolves slaughtered the orcs in the Fortress Palace complex to the last greenskin. The remainder of the orc worlds in the Ulanar sector were subdued by the forces of the Great Crusade and returned to imperial rule within the Terran year of the death of Urlok, as his orc empire completely fragmented when its troops learned of their master's death. The various knobs immediately declared themselves the new warlord of the empire and fought each other for control, allowing the imperial forces to carry out a simple divide-and-conquer strategy. With Urlach's termination, the nascent orc empire self-destructed, and the Xenos that were not hounded into the mud were hunted down across the hundred of star systems, all the way to Chandox and the Kyvius Belt and beyond. Thus, a mighty victory was won by the Imperium of Man, and if the Great Crusade had continued on like this, it is doubtful that the Horus Heresy would have even taken place. What was more important was what happened after the victory. With the greatest victory of the Imperium to that date sealed in blood and iron, the call to an Imperial triumph was sounded. To recognize this high point of the Great Crusade, and to honor all the warriors of the Lunar Crusade, mortals and Astartes alike, for their extraordinary valor and service to humanity's cause. By the Emperor's command, Lunar was remade as a trophy world, designated Mundus Tropium, on all galactic maps, and records of the imperial tithe. It would be a sight of glory and spectacle to cement not only the single conquest over the forces ranged against mankind, but a greater symbol of the Great Crusade itself. For 200 years, the Emperor's mighty endeavor had moved across the face of the galaxy to bring unity and illumination to the lost daughter worlds of old Earth. It had pushed back the night, reforged old links between human civilizations, battled alien threats, and with regret, it had often punished those who refused to return to the Imperial fold. To prepare the world for the triumph of Ulanor, geoformer platoons from the Mechanicum brought world engines and mobile stone burners to cut a massive swath across the broken landscape left in the battle's wake. Orcish dead were buried by the millions within their savage ruins, entered beneath transplanted rocks and the heads of crushed mountains. The Mechanicum eradicated every last remaining trace of the enemy, 
and paved over them with a giant boulevard, a parade stage as wide as the footprint of some entire imperial cities. They built a highway and allowed only one structure to stand beside the great platform, an ornamental pavilion of black marble and heavy granite that had been built piecemeal on Terra and then shipped across the void by special envoy. Marker posts decorated with the skulls of orc commanders placed out on the lengths of the road, and behind them great bowls of smokeless prometheum burned brightly, endlessly lighting the highway with their blue-white fire. When the Mechanicum had finished their work, the honor came to pay homage to the battle won. The Great Crusade's ideal of human unity and the Emperor, who was father to all mankind, the Imperial Army and the Titan Legions bracketed the gathering. Human troops were ranked in uncountable numbers, their hosts so wide that they became a sea of battle armor and dress uniforms. Every common man and woman who stood at Ulanor Prime's soil that day had been selected for their valor and conduct, and until the day they died, each would have the singular honor of wearing the onyx and gold Ulanor Triumph bar upon their uniforms. The award was forged from bolter shells recovered from the field and melted down. Ranged around them, the great war machines of the Legio Titanica lifted their weapons in salute towards the sky that was cut to ribbons by the contrails of thousands of aerospace fighters. And above those, high over the thin white cuirass clouds of the Ulanor Prime's day, imperial warships moved as slow as they dared through the upper atmosphere, washed of interface heat rolling off their void shields as they showed their flanks in a gesture of renewed fealty. A full 14 of the 18 active-duty Space Marine Legions stood represented at the Ulanor Triumph, and with them came nine beings of superhuman power and majesty, nine gods and angels made flesh, the Primarchs of the greatest armies ever created by human hands. Mortarian, the Reaper of Men and Master of the Death Guard, cowled and lethal in aspect, matched by the warrior guards of the Death Shroud Honor Guard. The Venetian Fulgrim, resplendent in his finery and handsome in aspect, lit by the reflection of gold and platinum. Magnus the Red, the crimson king of the thousand suns, the lord of the unknown, his soul as much a mystery to the common worlds as the workings of the warp and the ghosts within it. Lorgar Urulin, the quiet and brooding zealot, the word-bearers, who burned with such intensity and buried it all deep in his heart saying little and standing watchful, already long a traitor in the Emperor's cause. His polar opposite was Angron of the World Eaters, the gladiator lord and son of grief, never able to settle or moderate his seething, unendless fury, always on the verge of outburst and violence. Rogel Dorn, the stalwart man of stone, the imperial fist, with his unswerving manner and unbreakable focus, the one who would always obey, would always be ready, for duty. Jagatai Khan, his fur-trimmed robes and arrayed armor detailed with a thousand narratives of the White Scars Legion, his every step across the land a challenge to the galaxy. Then Sanguinius of the Blood Angels, his mighty wings folded back across his battle plate, his face turned to the sky to welcome the impossible, majestic sight before him. Then, finally, came Horus of the Luna Wolves. Horus, the hero of Ulanor, Horus, liberator and first among equals. Horus, who was to be given the new honor of an imperial title above and beyond 
any that had bestowed before. A title, it could be said, that would forever carry the echo of his name. Then the emperor took the stage. And how the crowd cheered. Raising his left hand in victory, he then grabbed Horace's arm in his right, hoisting the Primarch's hand into the air. The crowd roared. Cannons boomed in salute. The stormbirds dipped their wings in salute as they roared low across the sky. The emperor let this go on for a minute, then gestured the crowd to quiet down. As the applause dimmed, the emperor spoke in a booming voice so all could hear. He said, You are like a shun, and together we have but conquered the galaxy. Now the time has come for me to retire to Terra. My work as a soldier is done, and now passes to you, for I have greater tasks to perform in my earthly sanctum. I name you War Master, and from this day forth, all of my armies and generals shall take orders from you, as if the words came from my own mouth. But words of caution I have for you, for your brother Primarch's a strong will of thought and of action. Do not seek to change them, but use their particular strengths well. You have much work to do, for there are still many worlds to liberate, many peoples to rescue. My trust is with you. Hail Horus! Hail the War Master! After declaring Horus as Imperial War Master and the new Supreme Commander of the Great Crusade, the Emperor took his leave back to Holy Terra, without explanation, nor giving his sons any understanding. This drew great concern amongst the Primarchs, and not a little bit of resentment. It was this folly of the Emperor that started the ball rolling on the Horus heresy. If he had taken a moment to give his sons the understanding of what he was doing, perhaps treated them as sons instead of a science experiment, the heresy might have been avoided altogether. Of course, Lorgar had already fallen to the ruinous powers of chaos, so who knows? Anyways, the triumph of Ulanor unfortunately represents the high point of the Emperor's dream to reunite mankind, and also the beginning of its end. I hope you liked this short box. Tune in next week as we talk about another high point in the Great Crusade, the first pacification of Luna, where Horus Lupercal's legion got its original name, the Luna Wolves. If you enjoyed this box, please like, subscribe, follow, and comment. And as always, <clears throat> until next time, this is Ekthar, signing off. Thank <laughs> you.